Good morning, everyone. Before we uh, go to the Word this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this uh, Advent season, a time of year when we uh, together reflect on you fulfilling your promises to us, you fulfilling your promises to the nation of Israel, that you would bring redemption, that you would bring your presence, that you would bring salvation, that you would send your Messiah. And so we celebrate that this time of year. We, um, we trust you. You keep your promises. You are faithful. And so we worship you. And Father, we do worship you. And we enjoy worshiping you in song and in giving and in fellowship. And we worship you now uh, with the teaching and listening to your word. Pray, Father, that you would work in our midst, that we would uh, put aside those things that distract us, that would catch our attention, that would take our minds away from you and your word and what you have for us this morning. Father, I pray that you would help us to be sensitive to your spirit, help us to be responsive to your spirit. I pray that you would be glorified today as we look at Christmas. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you would open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. Of course, it's uh, the beginning of December, and we, uh, of course, are going to be talking about the Christmas story. And if you think about, you know, the Bible, where are you going to find the Christmas story? Of course, is in the Gospels, and really not just in the Gospels, but uh, particularly if you want to read the Christmas story, you're going to probably look in in uh, the beginning of Matthew or the beginning of Luke, and um, being a little bit contrarian, I decided to go with Mark. <laughs> You'll see that it doesn't start here with exactly the Christmas story like we think of. There's no baby in a manger. There are no angels speaking to um, to Joseph or Mary or anyone else. It's uh, it's a, a little bit different context, but but it really is the Christmas story. And I've I've entitled this message the Old Christmas Story. Because this is the Christmas story from the Old Testament. And the expectation that was created throughout the course of the history of the nation of Israel that brought about this, uh, this time of expectation and waiting for the Messiah to come. And so we're going to look at, at this passage and we're going to look at a little bit of uh, the background. And of course, it's going to take us back into the history of the nation of Israel. But it really is geared toward Christmas. It really is geared toward what is fulfilled at this time of year or what we celebrate having been fulfilled uh, this time of year. And so uh, that takes us to Mark chapter 1. And uh, we're going to read a few verses here. This is going to take us, I was very pleased that this is going to take us back into the book of Exodus. I feel like we've been away from Exodus too long. So we need to go back to it. And um, so I kind of warmed my heart a little bit there. But uh, let's read from Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 1. I'm just going to read the first Three verses here. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And of course, you see the very next word in your, in your text there, or probably very shortly thereafter, is John. This is a messenger, this is a message about a messenger who is to come, who is uh, to pave the way, to 
to lead the way, to open the doors in a manner of speaking for the Messiah who's going to come. And so that's a messenger that's being talked about. But as I got to reading these verses more and got to thinking about them, and more particularly as I got to looking into the Old Testament passages, there's, there's a lot more going on here. You can see that uh, in verse 2 there, it talks already about, uh, as is written in Isaiah the prophet. And then if you look, if you have notes, little notes in your Bible, uh, like I do, and you should look at those like, like I do, um, and they, they will tell you little information down there at the bottom of your page. Like, for example, on uh, uh, 2 and like partway down where it says, Behold, I send my messenger, it has a little letter B. And if I look at the bottom of my Bible, I see that takes me down to Malachi 3.1, right? Well, I, th- I thought Mark said that this was Isaiah the prophet, as is written in Isaiah the prophet. And this says Malachi 3.1. So either that's a typo or there's something else going on here. If you look at the beginning of verse 3, you can see a little C or a, mine has a little C there. Probably something to indicate that there's a, this is an Old Testament reference and where that reference is. Mine says Isaiah chapter 40. So we landed on Isaiah, right? And, uh, but we kind of jumped over. We, we, as is written in Isaiah the prophet, he quotes from Malachi and then he quotes Isaiah. Right, and this has caused some difficulty for some people. Um, the uh, there are various versions, various um, copies of the New Testament that were written, even in the first century, second century, third century. Probably not first century, but second, third, fourth, fifth, six centuries, and later on, there were some of them who said, you know, there must be a mistake in my manuscript. This probably said the prophets. And so some of you, some of your versions will say that. I think the King James says that. Probably the New King James says that. Maybe even the New American Standard, as it was written in the prophets. But the, 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 the best manuscripts seem to read Isaiah the prophet. And that doesn't cause us a problem because who's the most famous writing prophet in the Bible? Who's the prophet? Well, it's Isaiah, right? And so who's this other guy, Malachi? Well, yeah, he's important. He's a prophet of God, but he's not like Isaiah, right? And so, so it's, it's probable that, that uh, Mark in writing this was referring to, I have this, this quote that I'm going to give you from Isaiah, but let me, let me lead into it with this quote from, from Micah or from Malachi. And, uh, and then here, here's the quote from Isaiah, right? So he finished it off. That, that doesn't cause us a problem at all, especially when we think about how the passage is going to work out. So your, your little note there probably tells you that it goes back to uh, Malachi chapter 3 for the beginning of this quote that says, Behold, I send my messenger before your face. So how, how's he going to begin the gospel? Mark says this is the beginning of the gospel. This is how he's going to start it. This is how he's going to tell the information about Jesus, the Son of God. And he introduces this first one where he says, Behold, I send my messenger before your face. And my note says Malachi 3, but that's not really the first reference. This is where we get to go back into the book of Exodus. So Exodus chapter 23 is where we're going to be for just a moment. If you guys, of course, you all perfectly remember the story of the Exodus, so I won't rehearse it all for you, though I would be happy to do so. But you all know it. You all know it. We just went through it. But back in Exodus chapter 23 is where we find this quote. Look at, look at verse 20. Behold, I send an angel before you. So the first time this is referenced in the Old Testament is really in the book of Exodus. And so what's going on here? Why, why is this passage mentioned in Exodus, this, this, this one little line mentioned in Exodus, picked up by Malachi hundreds of years later, and then picked up by Mark hundreds of years after that? So what's going on here? Well, we have to get a little bit of context, so actually I'm going to 
talk a little bit about Exodus, right? You think about the story of the Exodus. The nation of Israel has been rescued from uh, Egypt. They've been brought out. They've been brought through the sea. Uh, now we're into chapter 23. They've already been given, uh, they've been given the Ten Commandments and now they're being given the law. This is the portion of the book that's called the Book of the Covenant, right? So God is sort of ratifying or he's spelling out more of the details of what this covenant between God and his people looks like, right? And, uh, and you can see that even just the verses before talks about laws, about the Sabbath and festivals, different, uh, the way their, their society, their culture, their nation was supposed to be set up. And then he transitions. He's going to give them information. So he, he's laying the foundation for this covenant that he's making with the nation of Israel. And he transitions in verse 20. And I want to read just a few verses here. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I blot them out, you shall not bow down to their gods, etc. And he continues. The word angel and the word messenger are the same word. It's, it's a direct quote there. Behold, I send an angel. I send a messenger before you. This was God himself saying to the nation that he had just rescued out of Egypt. He's saying to them, I'm going to give my representative who's going to lead you and he will lead you into the land. Well, why not God himself? Why wasn't it? Why wasn't it God himself? Right. It's 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 some kind of it's it's a messenger from God and he's my name is in him. So there's something special or something going on there. But uh, but remember what's going to happen just a few chapters later. You're going to have the whole golden calf incident. And so God, God begins to make statements like, if I were to go with you, you would be burned to a cinder. So I'm going to send my messenger instead. And so there's, there's someone who's in God's place, in a sense, representing God before the nation of Israel in traveling. And so this messenger, there were some particular things about him. He was going to, he was going to represent God is the most important thing, but the name of the Lord is going to be in him. And so you better obey him. You better obey him. He's not going to be forgiving your sins. My name is in him. And so listen to him. If you, if you are obedient to him, he's going to, he's going to be an adversary to your adversaries. He's going to defend you and, and protect him. But uh, you need to listen to him. You need to uh, obey him. And when he finally delivers you into the land, then um, don't bow down to those other gods. Stay faithful and true to uh, the one true God who has rescued you from the nation of Egypt. And so... God is going to give a messenger to lead his people connected with God very closely because it says the Lord's name is in him very closely connected. But but it's somehow God communicating with his people to lead his people in such a way that his holy presence will not burn them to a crisp because they're sinful. And so he gives his messenger to do that. And so that's what's going on there in this in this passage in Exodus. And this is the first reference that's quoted right here. God will send his messenger or his angel to represent himself and to stand against their enemies and to bring the people into the land. And they are to be sure to obey this messenger. So that's the first reference. That's what's going on. That's the promise of God for deliverance. God is going to give deliverance. And so that agent is this messenger 
who has been given by God. There's something special about him, something divine or very closely connected with God. You don't get a really full picture at this point, but, but there's a problem. God himself isn't going to go with them because of their sin. The problem is their own rebellion. And that shouldn't surprise us when we know anything about the nation of Israel. And that shouldn't surprise us if we know anything about human nature, our own nature. We're sinful and we're fallen. And so God establishes a messenger and he's going to deliver the people. He's going to be the one who's going to take them into the land to protect them, to preserve them. And so that's that's the, uh, the, the, the promise of God's deliverance. And so you can see that this, this idea that Mark is going to build on in, in Mark chapter 1 is already being developed all the way back in the book of Exodus. It's, it's this idea that God is going to give a messenger who's going to bring deliverance, right? So let's, let's look next because there's a second part of your quotation. Go back to Mark chapter 1. We won't, we won't go to Exodus 23 anymore. Mark chapter 1. He says, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. That sounds very familiar. We have that Exodus reference now. But he also says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. So now we come to the book of Isaiah. So go ahead and go to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. If you're using the Pew Bible in front of you, that's going to be on uh, page 599, 599. So, to advance from where we were in our story, because there's history going on while these prophecies are, are being given, right? And the history helps make sense of, make meaning out of these prophecies. The prophecies don't happen out of context. They happen in the storyline of the history of the nation of Israel. And so we kind of need to understand those things in tandem. So from the time of Exodus, this messenger led them into the land, right? They were, they, they were brought into the land of Canaan and they were there for a number, several hundred years. And you go through the, the time of the judges and, and, the, and uh, Kings and Chronicles, all that kind of stuff. Well, during, uh, during that time, were they faithful to the Lord? No shocker there. They, they, they showed themselves to be unfaithful. They would go after the Baals and they would worship the idols or they were unfaithful in other ways or they wouldn't trust the Lord. They would run and they would trust other nations and try and gain strength and be protected by looking to other nations instead of to the Lord. Things like that. They showed themselves to be unfaithful. And so in, in that context, their unfaithfulness, uh, Isaiah comes on the scene and Isaiah starts prophesying about what's going to happen. Look, you guys, you guys keep going this way. You're, you're worshiping these idols. You're doing these things that are, that are unfaithful to me. And yet at the same time, you keep going to church and you keep bringing your offerings and you keep doing these things that you think are going to please me when you're living lives that are like this. And, and so Isaiah has uh, a word from the Lord, uh, 66 chapters of a word from the Lord on what's going to be their, uh, their future. And it starts off pretty dark. If you've read Isaiah, even though it's, it's difficult to understand certain parts of it, the general tone is definitely there's judgment coming. Judgment for the unfaithfulness of the nation of Israel. Judgment for their idolatry. Uh, judgment for the things that, that uh, the way they've, they've been uh, living the course of their entire nation, the way they've been living their lives. There is judgment coming, right? And so that's bad news when you hear a word of judgment. And 40 chapters or 39 chapters of judgment coming, right? This is God is going to, is going to bring heavy judgment and it's going to end up in exile, right? The, the people are going to be kicked out of the land and they're going to be driven away. And there's going to be a time when they won't get to live in Israel, the land of Israel anymore. They'll be kicked out because of their disobedience. 
They disobeyed God so much that he, he finally drove them out. And, uh, and so the nation of Israel hearing about this judgment, that's a sad, ter- terrifying thing uh, to hear that kind of message of judgment. At the same time, to hear that that, that judgment is going to be so bad that you actually get kicked out of your home. This promised land that was guaranteed, promised to them, and they were in it, you're going to lose that. You're going to be kicked out. And so that's bad news, and that's a scary situation. And so that's where they find themselves when we come to chapter 40. They're terrified, and they should be terrified. And uh, they, they actually weren't terrified enough. But look at chapter 40 and starting in verse 1. So after that message, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So you see a change happen. You see a transition happen in the book. In the entire book right here. There's a transition happen. So this, the judgment is pronounced. The, what, what is going to happen. What's going to befall the nation of Israel. Uh, is, is pronounced. It's spelled out in painful terms. It's frightening. But it's not left there. God is not done at that point. He doesn't close the book and that's that. Instead, you get to chapter 40 and he says, comfort, comfort my people. Comfort my people. Bring, bring comfort, bring uh, reconciliation. Speak tender, tenderly to Jerusalem and tell her these things. She's already been punished doubly, so let's comfort her doubly, right? And so were these good expectations? Would this have uh, uh, given them a little bit of uh, joy in the midst of their suffering, in the midst of the, the promised calamity that's coming? Would it, would it have given them hope for the future? I believe it would have, would have given them great hope. A great hope that they would be delivered. And, and, and look at what happens in this passage. It's not just comforting words, right? But you have a voice crying, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Because God is coming. God is going to come on the scene. He's going to show up. So, so make the way ready for him. You're going to fill in the low spots and you're going to knock down the high spots and you're going to pave a way. You're going to make a way. Every valley should be lifted up. Every mountain should be made low and uneven ground should become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So that's great news. So though there's going to come a time of, of great uh, difficulty and tragedy and hardship and discipline, from God. Though they would be, it would be so extreme that they would be driven from the land, yet there will come a time when a voice will begin to cry. Make ready the way of the Lord, because He's coming. And His glory is going to return. And that's a comforting, a comforting thing to the nation of Israel. And so that's, that's our, our messenger or our agent that we have there is this voice. Who's this voice crying in the wilderness? Well, He's crying, prepare the way of the Lord. Make ready. He's, he's, he's someone who's speaking in advance of the coming of the Lord. 
right? And so you have this idea that God is going to arrive on the scene. And, and for a nation who, who is living in the midst of sin and living in the midst of difficulty and hardship like they are, they're, they're, they're failing miserably. And, and the Lord is pronouncing judgment through Isaiah the prophet on them for their miserable failure. So bad that it's going to end up in being exiled. And yet he brings such judgment or such, a, such, after such judgment, he brings such hope that he would tell them there's going to come a time. There's going to come a time that's a very comforting time when a voice will begin to cry, hey, the Lord's coming. The Lord's coming. Let's prepare the way of the Lord. Make ready. Let's, let's make a nice smooth route for the Lord to make because he's going to come and he's going to show up and his glory is going to be here. And it's not just going to be for us, but it's going to shine so brightly that the whole world will be able to see it. So we have a bright future. We have something in the future. So that's the expectation, right? Well, if you uh, continue going through your history of uh, Old Testament history and think about what happened to the nation of Israel. The promise was made. They were going to return. Well, as you read through Kings and Chronicles and, and, and you get further on, you realize, wow, they actually do go into, into exile. And they go into the land and, and they're removed and it's terrible and it's humiliating and, and they go into the land of Babylon and uh, they're in captivity there and then things happen. They're there for, for at, at least 70 years and then they return, right? And, and you know the stories of how they return with the promise and the rebuilding of the, of the temple and the rebuilding of the wall and Nehemiah and Ezra. You know all those stories. You, you're familiar with that kind of stuff. Did they return in glory? It says, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. The promise that's made here would set the expectations pretty high. That this time of return from exile was going to be glorious, was going to be wonderful. And they returned in a limp. When, when people came back and saw the temple that had been rebuilt, they wept because it was such a poor replica of the one they had had before. So they didn't return in triumph and victory and, and, uh, and wonderful, glorious presence of God. They kind of returned in a limp. They returned and God did miraculous things, but they kind of came back in dribbles and it was kind of weak and it wasn't the glorious kingdom that they had been told to expect. And so by the time the people have returned from exile... They, they know this promise. They know what was said. And then they look around them and they realize they're governed from without. They live in the land, but poorly. They're rebuilding, but it's pretty bad. This is not the glory of the Lord being present. And so they started developing this kind of expectation. And, uh, and, and the expectation was that there, there should have been something better. There should have been something more. Why didn't we return in power? Well, the problem once again, was their sin, unfaithfulness. Once again, they, they returned to the land, but their sin just stood in the way of the complete fulfillment of, of what had been given. This is all happening under the sovereignty of God, but this is how he's playing the story out. So they have this great expectation that God is going to arrive. He's going to come on the scene, right? They were, their, their, their suffering was going to come to an end. It was going to be all healed. It was going to be all better. And there was going to be glory. And it was going to be wonderful, right? Well, the end of, of uh, Israel's suffering is supposed to come. This is called the second exodus, by the way. They were supposed to be brought back out of the land. Last time it was out of the land of Egypt. This time it's supposed to be out of the land of Babylon. It's the second, it's the second exodus. And uh, the end of their suffering has been announced by the voice calling for Yahweh. Let's prepare the way for Yahweh. Let's prepare the way for the Lord. He's coming. This is supposed to bring comfort, right? 
And the glory of the Lord will finally be revealed to those who see and experience this. It's going to be a wonderful thing. That's the expectation. But has it happened? By the time we get to Malachi, it has not happened. So go ahead and turn to Malachi. If you're, if you're starting in Mark chapter 1, you only have two books left to go. Just go left, Matthew, and left another, Malachi. You're in Malachi chapter 3. Malachi is a post-exilic prophet. So what that means is he lives in the land and is prophesying after the return from the exile. Okay, so history has passed. History has continued. Isaiah uh, prophesied uh, well before they went into exile, and then they went into exile. They were there, and then they returned. And then during this post-exilic time, during this time after they've returned back to the land and things were supposed to have been wonderful and things are not really wonderful because of the unfaithfulness and, and the sin of the people, it wasn't really done. It wasn't really wonderful. It wasn't really glorious. And so you get to Malachi. And if you uh, turn to Malachi, actually we're going to start reading in chapter 2 and verse 17, we're going to read about the promise of God's presence. The promise of God's presence. Chapter 2 and verse 17, you have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied the Lord? How have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them, or by asking, where is the God of justice? You see, they've returned to the land and they had been told to expect and they had, they had come to expect that it would be a wonderful, glorious return. And they returned to the land in a limp. And other people are more powerful. Other people oppress them or threaten them and they, they kind of live in the land in weakness. And, and the people look and they see, man, those, those sinners are being blessed by God and we're here suffering. Maybe, maybe God d- didn't really keep his word. Maybe he's not really just because he seems to be blessing those people who are doing evil and he's, he's punishing us, it seems like. And so that's the expectation and that's the context in which Malachi is speaking here. And so in light of that, we begin in chapter three and verse one, behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. And so in that, in that context where they're, they're looking and they're seeing that other nations and the evildoers, other people around them seem to be prospering, they were promised a great deliverance and they, they've got this half deliverance. What's going on? Maybe, maybe God is not going to keep his word or something like that. And in that context, you have Malachi speak up and he says, I send my messenger. This is a word from the Lord. I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. So he says, the fulfillment is coming. It just hasn't been fulfilled yet. You're still waiting. 
you're still waiting. Think about that. They had been told hundreds and hundreds of years before that this this exile was going to come, this punishment from God was going to come, and that there would be an end to it. They've been told that hundreds of years before. And now here they are, hundreds of years later, they've known this is going to happen, and now it's happened. They're looking around, and they're expecting this great deliverance, and their their hopes are dashed because they're not seeing it. And the Lord says, just wait. Just wait. I will send my messenger and he will proclaim. He will prepare the way before me. Right? So this messenger is going to come on the scene. And so the people are still left with this idea that the messenger is going to come. And of course, you can tell if you flip the page to the right, pow, all of a sudden the next thing you know, you're in the New Testament. So 400 years have passed from the time of this prophecy in Malachi. And that's the expectation is there's going to be a messenger. The next person they're looking for is a messenger who's going to be preparing the way of the Lord. He's going to be, he's going to be preparing the people to receive the Lord. And, and, but this is a promise about God's presence. Look what it says there. Second half of verse one. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. He's coming. He's going to come to his temple. Suddenly the Lord will arrive. He will be on the scene. Then it speaks about the messenger and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he's coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? You expect the Lord to come and you want the Lord to come and he's going to be in your midst and it's going to be glorious and it's going to be wonderful. But who can endure it? And who can stand when he appears? This is God we're talking about after all. For he's like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and then they will bring offerings and righteousness in the Lord. So the Lord is coming. Prepare the way of the Lord. This messenger is going to come and say, hey, the Lord is coming. He's going to be the next one to come. And it requires some preparation because God is holy. God is not just the comforter. He's not only the comforter. When God shows up, he, he can show up to bless in massive ways or he can show up to judge. And you don't want to be on the receiving end of that. And so this is kind of the expectation that's, that's in the mind of the Jew at the time, that they're expecting there's going to come a messenger who's going, to, who's going to prepare the way of the Lord and that the Lord himself then will come and be in their midst. And he's going to come and he's going to bring them full and final comfort like I was, was promised back in Isaiah chapter 40. But it's going to involve purifying the people also. But the result of it is that they will bring offerings in righteousness. And there will be wonders done. There will be, it'll be beautiful. The offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. So flip back to Mark chapter 1. So that's the history. That in those two little verses of chapter 2, or excuse me, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, that's what's going on. You have this whole development. There's this expectation that God is going to deliver. He doesn't have the name Messiah yet, at least not in the passage, passages we looked at. But there's this messenger who's going to announce the coming of the Lord. And in a very real sense, the Lord himself is going to come on the scene. He's going to arrive. And he's going to bring this full and final and glorious redemption of his people, like had been promised. And it, it will be wonderful. And it will be, it will be glorious for the world to behold. And, and they will come and they will watch it. And so that's what's going on. That's in the background of, of these thoughts. And I will read once again, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. 
the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. And the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. And so this John who's going to come on the scene is not just some guy or some prophesied guy. He is the one ushering in the presence of the Lord himself. They were looking for this man. They were expecting, they were waiting for this messenger to come who's going to prepare the way of the Lord. And of course, part of his preparation for the Lord to come is to preach repentance. And what does John preach? Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Remember that prophesied stuff, the, the prophesied fulfillment, and that, that's, being, that's going to be fulfilled. The Lord is going to be here, and who can stand before His appearing? You need to be prepared. And so that's who John is, and that's who Jesus is. These prophecies in the Old Testament, they were, they were talked about, they were spoken of Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament. This is, this is the God of Israel, Yahweh. We, we, we translate it in some of our Bibles as Jehovah. He's the God of Israel. and He's the one that's being talked about. This is God. This is true God of true God. This is the, this is the, the one true God who alone is God. He's being prophesied of. Prophesied of and, and what does Mark here do with it? The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He brings those prophecies down. He, 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 he looks at them and sees that they are about Jehovah, Yahweh, God of the Old Testament. And he says, that is Jesus. These prophecies were made about him and it is Jesus. And he comes on the scene and he's a little baby. And he walks around and looks like us. But he is God the Son. God become flesh. He is Yahweh, God of the Old Testament. And in him will be the fulfillment of these promises. In him will be this full and final reconciliation. And so that's why Christmas is such a big deal. That's why the Christmas story in Mark is such a big deal because it lays the expectation. that This is not just a baby born in a manger who's going to do wonderful things. This is about the deliverance of all of God's people. And he has come on the scene finally after hundreds of years of expectation that God would bring his full and final deliverance. That deliverance is here in the person of Christ. And so that brings us to Christmas, right? It's, it's, it's December 3rd, and we're looking forward to this Christmas season and Advent readings and, and uh, time with family and gifts and all that kind of stuff. We're going to celebrate Christmas. We're going we're gonna to celebrate the birth of Christ. Let's build some expectation behind it. Let's understand the expectation of the people. And let's see that just like the nation of Israel, they, they wanted the deliverance. And they kept getting in the way of it because of their own sin. They, they themselves fell short and God renewed his pledge. And they themselves fell short and he renewed his promise. And they themselves fell short so that even by the end of uh, the Old Testament, the promises were there. The people kept getting in the way of the fulfillment of them. They themselves were the problem. The problem wasn't that God was slow to deliver. They themselves were the problem. And that's a message for us. It's not that it's not that God doesn't provide salvation. It's not that God doesn't, um, you know, He sent His Son. He paid this price, and He did so because of our impediment. He did so because of our 
lack because of our sinfulness, that he would take that upon himself to go the whole way and bring redemption in his son. And so that's why we celebrate Christmas. The birth of a baby. He's the son of God. He's the king of all. And he came so that he could die for you and die for me. And so Christmas points that direction. God is fulfilling his promises. Every time we celebrate Christmas, we're reminding ourselves and each other that God is fulfilling his promises. That God overcame our sin. He overcame our lack, our need, our spiritual death, our rebellion against him, our enmity against him. He overcame that in the person of Christ, that he went all the way. And so we think about the history of the Old Testament, how it develops and how those promises were made and and God overcame the people's sin. It's finally accomplished in the birth of Jesus. And that's what Christmas is. And so that's that's my first conclusion from this is that we, we're here, it's Christmas Day, it's also Communion Sunday, and we're going to celebrate this together. God fulfills His promises. He has fulfilled His promises already. A second, a second conclusion is that, uh, do you remember just a couple of weeks ago, think back, far back, we looked at Psalm 107. And Psalm 107 talks about, among other things, these case studies of God's faithfulness to unfaithful people. And remember, we talked about some people were in chains and they were bound up because of their sin and they cried out to God and God set them free. He delivers from that. Other people were suffering internal affliction and, and they were because of their own, uh, their own sin. They were rotting from the inside because of their own sin and they cried out to God and he delivered them from that. And other people were suffering just the, the chaos of life and God delivers from that. And other people were suffering other things, just this anguish, this, this, this realization that this world cannot be all there is and, and not fulfilled. And they cried out to God and God delivers that. God delivers. He breaks chains. These people cried to the Lord and he delivered them. And that's a, that's a, that, that chapter, that Psalm 107 is like a small picture of the whole history of the nation of Israel. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. That's Christmas. That's what Christmas is about, is God shattering those bonds, him cutting through those bars of iron, him satisfying the longing soul and giving food to the hungry soul. So Christmas is about God's faithfulness. And we see this not just at the beginning of of our gospels, but it's played out through the history of the nation of Israel. This is a, a continuous story and it's God being fulfilling his promises and being faithful to his promises here. And so finally we come to communion and this is about God keeping his promises. Just like Mark said about Christmas, this is the beginning of the gospel this is a picture of the gospel that we get to celebrate, to remind ourselves, to remind one another and to, to do before the Lord as, as a, a remembrance of his faithfulness to us. And so if I could have the men who are going to serve communion come forward. Again, this is, this is a celebration of the faithfulness of God. This is, this is us declaring before the Lord that he is faithful, reminding uh, ourselves of what he has done. And so this is for believers. 
This time when we come to the Lord's table is for believers. And uh, this is a celebration of what Christ has done for us. If you don't yet know the Lord, uh, or if you don't know if you do, come come talk to us. Uh, we would love to talk with you about that. But if, if you don't yet know the Lord, let these elements pass. And there's nothing shameful in that, but this is, this is something for believers to do. This is also uh, something that we should examine our hearts before we do, so that we would take this in a, in a right manner, right? So if there's a broken relationship that, that you need to go and fix, maybe let these elements pass first before you go and fix those relate, that relationship. Maybe there's some ongoing sin in your life that you've not confessed and forsaken. Maybe, maybe there's that. You don't want to take this un- until you've got that dealt with. You can deal with that. Go to the Lord and, and deal with that. Some of that, maybe even as we're passing the elements, you can be uh, confessing that to the Lord and dealing with that even now. But this is this is for believers, and this is for believers who are um, who who are not in rebellion against God. And I, I would make another encouragement here uh, regarding baptism that that really the the first step of obedience as a believer is to be baptized. And so I would encourage you once again, if if you trust Christ and you've not yet been baptized, come talk to us and and uh, and we will baptize you. And, and think about that even in regards to this right here. Have you obeyed the Lord in believers' baptism? And so this is a, this is not just for everyone.